Hey guys, so this is Eden, and I'm actually giving you a little bit of a warning before the episode. We had a very weird problem with our microphones, and there was a background hiss during the entire episode. I was able to try to remove some of the hiss in post, but unfortunately, this is not the best audio quality, and we do apologize. We're really sad about it because we've invested in these great new microphones, and they just didn't work for this episode. Um, I, I still don't know what happened, but... We appreciate you and we hope you enjoy this very spooky episode about vampires and media and how that intersects with BDSM. Hello and welcome to the Case for Kinky podcast. This podcast discusses adult topics, so if you are offended by adult topics or are under the age of 18, please stop listening now. Also, while Miss Jen is a therapist, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are not to be taken as personal therapy for you. She is not your therapist. And if she is your therapist, just remember that what she says only technically counts in your private sessions. I just bit you on your arm. And now you will turn into a baby Eden. What? Yeah, you heard me. That's right. Today we're talking about <laughs> vampires. You're listening to Kay's for Kinky. And you just your... said baby Eden. Yeah, well, because when I bite people, they turn into miniature versions of me. That's how I procreate. Oh boy. Hi there, precious kinklings. You're listening to K's for Kinky, and we're your friendly neighborhood kinksters. Jen. And Eden. Today we're talking about the intersection of vampires in media and BDSM. Ah, ah, ah. Unacceptable. <laughs> you need to be taken out into the back and made to pluck What was herbs. the thing on uh, what we do in the shadows? That I don't sound like that. I don't know, but you're doing a great impression. Remember, what is, what's... What's his butt? Uh, the the tall guy. Oh my god, I can't remember any Wait, names you right mean, now. Um, Nandor. Yeah, Nandor. One of the humans. I don't know if it was a regular character or like one of the documentarians or whoever it was. Like made fun of like the stereotypical vampire sound, and he was like, "I do not sound like that." Um, but then he sounded like that. You can't remember where you put the key but you can remember <laughs> the first episode of what we do in the shadows. i don't know if it was the first episode it was just i think an early episode well as you can hear today we'll be talking a little bit about how vampires appear in the media <laughs> happy halloween season yeah happy hallow season um what's wrong it's just you combining words i think me combining words is very inventive and this is how words get made i mean <laughs> i am i'm basically like demonstrating the skill of humans to generate sounds that mean things i'm sure for boobalicious would uh would agree yeah fabubalicious <laughs> is one of the names of fable see if, if i didn't mix them up fable wouldn't have 40 names fabibbidi bobbidi boo fabable fabobble fabooby fabiscuits michael fabuble fabibica fox <laughs> just made that one up <laughs> that's amazing okay so anyway why are we doing this um why well, are we doing this why are we here? <laughs> why are we even on a podcast? What are we doing with ourselves? No, I was saying, why are we talking about this today? Well, because, one, yes, it is Halloween season or spooky season, as some people say. Um, she's really cute, by the way, today. She has her little... Okay, so I call them her Cabbage Patch hats. She has one, like, This accent. is not a Cabbage Patch hat. Okay, you just settle down. I'm explaining. It's a cool hat. It's a beanie. And whenever Miss Jen wears beanies... It's she, like a thin beanie, though. She's so cute. Oh, my God. I can't even handle myself. But, yeah, I call her her Cabbage Patch Kid hat. I don't know why. She just looks like she's a little cabbage. If you're on our Discord, you saw a picture of me in the beanie that she is referencing because I posted a picture the other day of me being exhausted. Actually, it was yesterday. Yeah, and she's got her little beanie on her head, and she's tired, and it's so cute. Which, apparently, people, or at least one person, thought it made me look witchy because we just redid my hair, so it's super purple. Yeah. Anyways, Anyways. 
Sorry, you Vampires. There it is. I was waiting for that. So. Now I want to go into count from Sesame Street. You need to let me start the episode. For as long as humans have been writing stories, we have been finding ways to express and discuss sexuality and taboo. And vampires are very interesting when you look at how they've been portrayed in more modern culture. Because at this point, I think we all would agree that vampires are synonymous with our concept of forbidden or taboo sex and just sort of the darker side of human nature. And a lot of monsters stand in for that, right? I mean, there's a reason there's a whole entire demographic of people in the scene who are called monster fuckers, right? Like, monsters and monster lore and popular media with monsters in it there's typically an undercurrent of some sort of sexuality or romance going on. Were vampires always like this? That's the first thing. And also, what the fuck is a vampire? Can we talk about this for a moment? What pops into your brain? Your beautiful beanie-headed brain. (laughs) Oh my god. Um, A creature of the night who feeds and lives off of the blood of living humans. And what does this creature look like? And they don't fucking sparkle in the sun. Okay, Sorry, so... I haven't seen Twilight, but that's <laughs> what do they look like though? Like if you could generically tell me, how would I know what a vampire looks like? Pale, yeah, because <laughs> they can't go in the sun. Are they like? Oh, they could get spray tans <laughs> to adjust their is... paleness. It's not gonna protect yeah. them from the sun. You can get no, I know, but I'm saying tans. like to pass more. You know, like when they go out, they get burned alive in the sun, according to what you're saying. That's why they can't go in the sun. I know. So I'm saying when they go out to like a nightclub or whatever, oh. if they want to look less pale, they can get a spray tan. So they yeah, fit in true. with that's people true. and that's then true. easier to get their victims because they're like, no, I'm just a human. Hi. Come you. out to the back alley and show you something. Can you please be that? T- <laughs> can, can you imagine that's the vampire's tone of voice in the way that how convincing they are? I want to show you something. That, it's in the alley, though. We have to be alone. No one can come in. But it's just like this really cool thing that I saw outside. <laughs> Well, and, and, you know, if you want to go off different storytelling, some of them always have fangs and some of them have fangs that, like, pop out, you know, when they turn. Yeah, or, like, they can extend their fangs. Yeah. It's like, I'm back in again. Um, (laughs) Something else that Jen left out, which I think is actually very important in terms of how we, as a modern society, tend to think of vampires, is that most people think of vampires as being really attractive. No, I purposely left that out. Oh. You know why? Why did you do that? True blood. Ooh, True Blood has changed Miss Jen's perception of vampires. Good job, Miss Jen. We'll talk about True Blood in a second because True Blood does actually give us a very interesting take. More well-rounded representation. Well, I mean, I don't know if we want to say that, but it is different than the norm. Vampires uh, have been being talked about for a very long time, and even beyond Bram Stoker's Dracula. Actually, we can go even back to, uh, I believe, the mythology or the lore surrounding Lilith, or I think it's called the Lilith. Um, I'm not 100% sure if I'm saying that correctly, so I do apologize if this is something that you are really familiar with. I'm doing the best I can um, to recall the things that I've deep-dived into because I have special interests, and one of them sometimes is vampires, and sometimes they are monsters, and I have hyperfixated on this before. But um, this was a sort of demonic entity that I believe preyed on pregnant women and potentially even children. I was right, sort of. Lilith's other names are Lilith or Lilithu. And she is very old, so oftentimes we see Lilith 
um, referenced in Judaic text, but she also uh, predates that by quite a bit. We're looking at Mesopotamian times. Um, there was actually a whole host of kind of demonic entities called Lilites or Lilitus that specifically preyed on pregnant women, women in childbirth, and on infants who were very vulnerable. That's really where Lilith comes from. And it's interesting to hear that because you can see even then this almost parasitic nature of the Lilith or the Lilithu. Other types of demons that uh, may have some sort of impact on vampire lore are the ones that sit on your chest when you're dreaming and um, give you nightmares and will suck your energy out like that. There's 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 stories about Sexy. demons. Yeah, there's stories about demons <laughs> like that. And generally speaking, as vampire lore began to become more specific and people were really imagining vampires for the first time, uh, they were also inspired by humans who were incredibly cruel. And this is not very uh, uncommon knowledge. Most of you will be like, yeah, I know. Vlad Dracul actually, like, really speared people and really, like, put them on stakes. And that is accurate. Vlad the Impaler was called that for a reason. There's also Elizabeth of Bathory, um, who was basically just a serial killer, a prolific serial killer. So, as it turns out, it's possible that Elizabeth of Bathory was actually innocent. And I wanted to amend um, this reference because a lot of experts at this point are starting to adopt this belief that Elizabeth of Bathory was framed by a political rival who would have benefited greatly and did benefit greatly from the Bathory's losing power. This happened in the 1600s, and this is clearly a, a case where a legend grew out of uh, somebody who was alleged to have been a serial killer. Blood is often associated with life force. An interest in blood or consuming blood or bloodshed is considered by many stories, many religions, to be demonic or evil, right? So this is all of these things I'm bringing up. There's a purpose to this. Um, As a throwback to our last episode, or yeah. our, our blood play episode, yeah. um, vampires like their blood raw. Yes, yeah, not cooked. <laughs> As Miss Jen was curious about in the blood play episode. If you haven't heard it yet, go and listen We're going to have it. to spoiler this episode, too. Trigger warning this also. Thank you. Just <laughs> I will make, make sure. sure. So the reason I'm giving you a very, very quick little like download of some of the things that started vampire lore before we actually get into what you're probably familiar with is because it's kind of important to understand that originally vampires were just monstrous. That's it. They were just scary. They were just um, meant to be something that sucked your life force away, robbed you of of, of wealth of energy right literally like they took your blood out of your system right and they also killed your loved ones you would come back and kill your own loved ones if you became a vampire like these were very frightening creatures originally and it's only with the creation i believe of bram stoker's dracula that we got to see an iteration of a vampire that was more human and even the Dra the vampire in dracula isn't exactly hot like he's more of a romantic and sexualized figure but Vampires don't really start to get hot until later. Um, but I mean, this was hot is subjective. Yeah. Well, hot is in like <laughs> objects of potential like, curiosity, sexuality, romance. But stereotypically um, hot. Yes. But Dracula is often romanticizing. We see we've seen so many renditions of Dracula in in movies and TV, right? And uh, at this point, if I say Dracula, everybody knows who that is. But many people think of Dracula as like. Nosferatu and things like that. People think of that sometimes when they think of vampires more so than they think of like an Edward Cullen. There came a time, especially in modern years, modern history, where vampires somehow went from being scary, frightening monsters into being representative of the macabre and sex. 
And that's how most of us think of vampires today. I don't know what came first. I was obsessed with Buffy and Angel, and I think that was 90s. I think it was 90s, yeah. And I don't know if that came first or if Interview with a Vampire by Anne Rice. I don't know which came first. (laughs) I think Anne Rice came first. But I really liked both of those things. I don't know if I read it. Um, Let's talk about Anne Rice for a second. Let's talk about Anne Rice because while there have been a lot of erotic stories before Anne Rice about vampires... Anne Rice did something pretty incredible. Um, if you look at Interview with a Vampire, which there's actually a new TV show that's doing it that's really remarkable. Do recommend season one of Interview with a Vampire that just dropped. So we caught year. up with that? We are. Okay. Yeah, we're waiting for season two. Anne Rice, may she rest in peace. Um, what? Anne Rice passed away, Miss Jen. She did? Yeah, like over a year ago. <laughs> oh, that's sad. Miss Jen is a really big Anne Rice fan. Well, and I think, well, I don't know if I'd say that. I own a lot of her books, but I haven't read a lot of them yet. Yeah, but you did collect them and you went through a phase for sure. But I want to talk about why Anne Rice matters for a second and why Interview with a Vampire matters. Because there is something so beautiful and human about this sort of longing and primal sexuality and carnality that the vampires in Anne Rice's work seem to represent. And there's also like this awareness of of becoming a demon, of becoming the worst version of yourself in the pursuit of something that humans really shouldn't have, which is, in this case, immortality. And I think that at some point, people started to look at vampires, and we we see vampirism becoming like a contagion, right? Which is kind of how it's seen. You can spread it. We start to see humans having almost like a Faustian deal where they can become supernaturally beautiful, powerful, and live forever, but at the cost of their humanity. And that is really at the core of a lot of vampire stories. And you're asking yourself at this point, wow, Eden, this is so fascinating. Thank you for giving me all of this great vampire download. (laughs) What the hell does this have to do with BDSM? Well, I'm getting there. Oh, yeah. I'm getting there. Yeah, we're actually (laughs) up to talking about vampires today. We're going to tie this in. Okay. So when we look at vampires as this representation of taboo, wanting things you should not have, of succumbing to forces that are bigger than you, exchanging your humanity or your purity or your goodness for carnal pleasure. What we're really looking at here as well is this, in a more basic sense, a battle between the ultimate good, the ultimate evil, your soul and the devil. It matters when I break it down this basic because when you look at BDSM and how BDSM is viewed in our actual living culture, not in stories, a lot of people see BDSM as people succumbing to the devil of people succumbing to something that is evil or bad or that should be avoided. And in fact, many people spend their lives trying to avoid sexuality and sensuality in general. We see that in certain religions that pride, purity, and a complete disconnection between your self and your body and your urges. And so when we look at vampires as a story, like lore representation of human sexuality and human weakness and carnality and violence and sex and all of these things that people, real people, might actually engage in at some point, and that real people generally agree are bad. Like, it's bad to kill someone. It's bad to suck their blood. It's bad to harm your family members. It's bad to be callous. It's bad to be cruel. And to some people, it's bad to have kinky sex. It's bad to give in to sexual temptation or to have infidelity or to sleep with multiple people. Like, vampires have become a stand-in for all of the things that people are most fascinated by and most scared of within themselves. And in that way, vampires are a vanilla representation of the BDSM boogeyman hiding in all of their closets. And this is why we see so much fixation 
on the sensuality and the sexuality of vampires in modern day. That is my belief. I believe that vampires are the vanilla world's way of communicating and exploring things in themselves that are tied deeply to their humanity, their sexuality, and in their mind to their sin, or to things in themselves that if they let that monster out of the closet, who knows what will happen. And there is that fear when you look at vampire stuff, that vampires will, will overtake society and overturn society and take over the world. Let's use True Blood as an example, where we see this like vampire uprising kind of going on. And there's like a secret council underneath, like, we are afraid of our subconscious desires and our subterranean urges. So one thing that I love about most representation of vampires, but that also feeds right into what you're talking about in terms of feeds. people fearing it with the whole like purity shit is most of the time at least that i have seen vampires are represented as pansexual like yep. you know polyamorous usually too po yeah po in, in covens <laughs> in covens in polycules polycules of covens and pansexual and so again i love that representation and it's probably yet another reason that hedonism and and all of that wrapped into it that people are like oh clutch my pearls clutch my pearls well and we keep popping around to media representation, but let's talk about some of the most impactful ones because immediately when you talk about pansexuality and queerness being represented by vampires, because now vampires not only stand in for sexuality and carnal desire, now they stand in for queerness. Now they stand in for kink. Like as society evolves and the boogeyman gets bigger, now we are seeing ourselves reflected in the vampire in a very big way. I mean, I look at what we do in the shadows as a very mirror-like representation how queer people how kinky people how poly people how sexual people how unusual people how we are in a playful way still demonized to a degree we are still the monsters you know walking around with everybody else ma masquerading as humans like that's what i when i see what we do in the shadows i also feel comforted because what we do in the shadows does not turn the vampires into villains. Although, to be real, they are killing people. I mean, in a funny way. Yeah. They, they're actually the heroes. They are the people that we want to root for. We care about them. They make us laugh. Like, they are Except very Except Colin Robinson. Well, Colin Robinson makes me laugh the most. I love Colin Robinson. Well, we have humans who are Colin Robinsons. God, he's so great. <laughs> Admire the hell out so of him. So Colin Robinson on the show, if you haven't seen it, is, a, is an energy vampire. Literally a vampire, but instead of feeding on blood, he feeds on people's energy. Just the same way, basically, it's a, a play on what we call people who are energy vampires. He can also drain other and vampires. He can drain other vampires, other humans. He can walk in the daytime. Like, he has different rules surrounding his existence. <clears throat> but it was great because we talk about energy vampires in the human world. And to see that represented as an actual vampire, I think it was fantastic. Yeah, definitely... Uh... Definitely what we do in the shadows is I feel pretty transformative in terms of how we view vampires because it's pretty on the nose. Like, it kind of shows you when you're watching it, oh, we do sort of turn people who are different into monsters in our TV shows and in our lore. Like, we do do that. But let's go backwards a little. So I mentioned Bram Stoker's Dracula, which many people see as one of the most impactful pieces of, like, public story that has impacted the collective consciousness in terms of how we see vampires. But you brought up Anne Rice and Interview with a Vampire. I feel like that brought vampires more to mainstream, kind of like Fifty Shades did for BDSM. Like, 
I think it became more widespread. I mean, obviously they made a movie based on the books. Uh, well, at least the first book because it is a series. Now there's a TV show. I mean, how many years later is it still going? Well, and it also importantly brings up queerness in relation to vampires. The queerness represented by Anne Rice is huge, especially at the time when she published that. Queerness is not something that people were um, able to be as open about anyhow. It is pretty uh, remarkable that she did that. It is remarkable that vampires are were starting to be used even then as representations for queerness. Um, after Anne Rice, what's another? Oh, wait. Yeah? And for me, the most significant rep- representation is male pan or bisexuality. Yeah. Because that is something, like, as somebody who identifies as bisexual, a lot of my, you know, male teammates <laughs> will, you know, there's so much stigma there even more than I have. And so to see that piece is, I love that. Yeah. When we look at something like Buffy, which is in the 90s, we're we're, we're speeding up into the 90s right now. Mm -hmm. Buffy is really interesting because we get to see a very human vampire in Buffy. And of course, I'm talking about Angel. And Angel's very name is... Wow. Oh my God. (laughs) Angel, though... David Boreanaz. Is Borealis. Not Borealis. Sorry. I trust me. I know who he no, is. No, I know. I was I was thinking of that cartoon thing, David Boreal. It was a Family Guy getaway. Anyways, Angel being even named that is one lazy writing. To be honest, it's like being like, I want to make a complex character, but I'm worried people won't get it. So let me name him what I want people to see him to become. Like, but the point is, he is the devil, but he's an angel, and he is that angsty representation of a vampire struggling with the sacrifices they've had to make to be what they are. Which ends up coming down to, again, that Faustian bargain of, here's my soul for what seems like a good deal, and at the end of the day, it's not, right? Angel is fighting for his soul. That is a big deal on the show, and it it is pretty remarkable. And I feel like that really impacted how people see vampires. And then even Spike, I'm figuring up Spike for a second, or like Drusilla, or whatever her name is. Like, Mm -hmm. these vampires are funny, they are a bit crazy, but you see humanity in them as well, especially Spike. Spike is... A very compelling character. Buffy also, though, makes complete morons of vampires. Buffy does both. Buffy gives you human vampires on a level of almost like a demigod, and also gives you these like monster gremlins that like get iced and like have stupid, ugly faces. Like you see that too. <laughs> like so, I feel like when Buffy came out, we started to see this also vampire hunter trope, which is, you know, pretty badass because it also shows humans engaging in violence to combat violence like how can humans interact with evil without becoming evil humans have really started to question themselves in vampire stories and in a sense also again i want to bring up like are we fighting against our bdsm urges when we fight against a vampire in stories are we fighting against these things or are we coming to peace with them when a story like buffy talks about embracing angel as a human Is there reclaiming that can occur? Is there something going on in these stories where we're seeing humans come to terms with their sexuality, with their darker urges, and living alongside them instead of closing them out and turning them only into monsters? I think that that's something that is also, again, pretty transformative about some of the more modern retellings of vampires. And I do think, in a way, it bodes well for the BDSM community that there are these positive depictions of vampires in our media. Yeah, so I have to report something really happy that I just looked up. Yes. Anne Rice's interview with a vampire was published the year I was born. Oh, you're like a little vampire. <laughs> we share baby. a birth story. <laughs> That's adorable. Yeah. Interview with a gen pyre. Oh my god. I can find some good words. Oh no. 
<laughs> so yeah, so Buffy, Angel, ugh, and these shows were like huge with the high school age range people, which is exactly where I was at when they came out. Not to mention how kinky some of it is. Like there is a scene in Buffy. Oh my god, with Angel, Spike, and Buffy. That scene? No. Oh, never mind. <laughs> But I was just going to say when they tie the werewolf up in a fucking cage and take off his shirt and he's in a fucking cage. Oh, I don't remember that part. Well, there's some kinky shit in Buffy. Like, a lot of people's kinky (laughs) origins probably started watching Buffy. Yeah, I really liked Buffy and Angel. Yeah, and and I love it. I started having you watch it, but you gave up. I liked it. It's just like, how much from the 90s can I watch before I get kind of... Okay, well, we'll we'll look into that. I was born in the 90s, so I do feel obligated to watch that show. Mm -hmm. But the point being... Buffy is made for and about a teenage audience. Because vampires started around that time to be really associated with teenagers consuming it. And more of a young adult feel. Mm -hmm. And I guess that leads us to the next big young adult hit that happened when I was a teenager. You're going to talk about Twilight, huh? I am going to talk about Twilight. I haven't seen these, so you go. Because I just know that they sparkle. (laughs) Twilight did something with vampires that is too transformative and that actually took away the sadism and the sexuality that is so inherent and so important in most vampire stories. Edward Cullen is a young teenage boy, a heartthrob, if you will, (laughs) who is just perfect in every way. And he stalks and falls in love with a teenage girl. And it is discovered by her that he is actually a vampire. But don't worry. He doesn't drink human blood. He only drinks animal blood because he's a vegetarian. And don't worry. What? Yes, he can walk in the sun. Not he won't get a, he won't get burned. He just sparkles in the sun, and that's why he can't really be in the sun. Just be careful. That's why they live in. I think it's called Forks. That's why they live like where they live because they live it's always forks? cloudy. Yeah. Places called Forks. I think so. <laughs> It's always cloudy, so that's why an overcast is why they can be there without being spotted. So they live spotted. in Oregon. Yeah, they live in Oregon. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, like, what this did is it actually made vampires human. Twilight made vampires human. It didn't toy you or mean discuss. it humanizes them? No, it made them into humans with magical abilities. It oh. took away what makes a vampire a vampire. Like, we saw in Twilight a complete full circle. We started off as monsters with nothing human, and we ended in Twilight with complete humans who are nothing monstrous. There was almost nothing monstrous about the vampires in Twilight. There were, like, evil vampires that did drink human blood, but it wasn't because they were vampires that made them evil, because the Cullens are an example of an entire pack of them that are fine. It's because of their choices that made them evil. We got to see good and evil being played out in the exact same realm as it is in the human world. There's so nature really... versus nurture. Yeah, there was nothing... Well, not... Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> kind of. There's nothing about Twilight that really makes us question what happens when supernatural forces interact um, because we were really just looking at human human good and evil problems, right? Um, and in that way, Twilight does not represent BDSM. It does not represent kink or sex. It represents a very basic love story. And if anything, the worst parts about the story are possessive and obsessive love. Gotta throw in here, because we have to. That Fifty Shades was based on Twilight fan fiction. Yeah. Is it all making sense now, kids? Well, and this was interesting. So <laughs> you just heard me say there's really no hint of BDSM or sex in Twilight beyond, like, very vanilla and very, like, non-monstrous versions of those concepts. Like, Edward marries Bella in, in the end. You well, know, but you like, said does he stalks her? He stalks her. Yeah. yeah there you go. But exactly. <laughs> The way that inappropriate behavior made it through Twilight was because of a probably unintentional choice on the author's part to have Edward behave in a way that's really domineering, really inappropriate. 
really stalkery and honestly criminal. Um, and the obsession Bella has with him is really unhealthy. Vampires, even if they're not being utilized the way they are in most stories, when we hear vampire at this point, we impose sexuality onto those pictures. If you don't believe me, go read the fan fiction archives for, for <laughs> Twilight. There's a lot there, and some of it's good. Not a lot of it, but some of it's good. Okay? But yes, somebody reading Twilight could pick up or impose on it sexual taboo or sexual interest. And that is how Fifty Shades got started. Somebody saw the vibe between Edward and Bella and went, that could be hotter. In Twilight, does Bella bite her lip a lot too? Uh, Probably. I don't know. For both Twilight, I have not read or seen Twilight. Um, We gotta change that because Alice blew blew my mind. But between Twilight and True Blood, like, I'm the other team. I'm team werewolf guy. What was his name? Team Jacob. Team Jacob. Yeah, I would definitely be Team Jacob. I mean, yeah. So And I'm Team All Seed all the way. Well, let's transition from Twilight. <laughs> let's go ahead and transition from Twilight. Transition from Twilight into to True Blood now. So True Blood was going on, I think, around the time of Twilight. Actually, I don't remember the name. What was it? It's also? a Sookie Stackhouse series, book series that it's based on. So Charlene Harris was writing True Blood books, I think, in the early 2000s. It's, it's been going on for a while, and I, I highly recommend reading the books, actually. I, I did read the books. Yeah, in 2001, I think, Dead Until Dark, the first installment was written. So she wrote this around the same time that Twilight was coming out, but she wrote it better and differently. And she, she did actually tackle the dark side of vampires in her books. I mean, yes, it still has that kind of like cheap romance novel feel and that kind of teenage romance novel feel that Twilight also offered, But instead of focusing on, like, can someone be good if their soul is good? It focused on what do you really lose when you gain supernatural power? When you interact with evil, what does that do to you? Um, There's also so much sex, so much, like, awesome erotic shit going on in Charlene Harris's series, the Sookie Stackhouse series, which became True Blood. True Blood, I just highly recommend. And, And there is no doubt when you watch True Blood, there's BDSM influence and shit going on in that. For sure. So just a little trivia. The books that True Blood was based on, the Suki Stackhouse, Stackhouse series, came out in 2001. The Twilight books came out in 2005. So maybe, actually, the Twilight series, Stephanie Myers is the writer of that one. Stephanie Myers yeah. may have been influenced, for all we know, by... Meyer. Sydney Meyer, for all we know, may have been influenced by Charlene Harris's series. But what's important here is that True Blood is better. These things about vampires that we all love so much, which is that sexual romantic vibe and that dark taboo vibe that vampires offer. And then she also brings in a bunch of other monsters. It's fun. It's a fun Mm -hmm. series. It, It kind of reminded everybody consuming media, everybody listening to modern stories, vampires are hot. It's true. Sometimes. Mostly. But they're also horrible. <laughs> the reason it's called True Blood is because there is, like, a product in that world called True Blood where it's not actually true. Synthesized. It's synthesized fake blood so that vampires are, like, not bothering humans by drinking their blood. The point is, when you suppress sexuality and you suppress things, it comes out in really, sometimes not okay ways, as opposed to embracing healthy sexuality. So Stephanie Meyer really suppressed vampires and sexuality and BDSM in her story. And Fifty Shades was born out of that. Like, that's just kind of like, holy <laughs> shit. We're trying to show you the ways in which these stories kind of keep the symbolism of BDSM, kink, sexuality, and taboo alive in the um, representation of vampires. 
So this takes us all the way into current day. Some of the more recent representations of vampires are what we do in the shadows. Love it. Yeah, we do love what we do in the shadows. Although, I want to give you kind of a caveat there, but uh, there's that, and then there's Interview with a Vampire that just came out as well. Love it. And of course, there's like probably like a bunch of other things that count. I just am not thinking of them right now. Or we may have missed some stuff. Yeah. Like, we don't have a ton of time to watch shows, like, well, and so I, we might have missed some things. In the same way that I told you the origin of vampires starts off with actually demons who like suck your energy out or steal your, your give you nightmares in your sleep. Vampires are becoming a blurrier concept because now we're getting into a place at a time where vampirism is returning to like energy vampire with Colin Robinson. We're starting to see a, a kind of a kind of an infinity symbol with vampires. We're starting to see them return to their origins in the sense that vampirism expands beyond what was once a monster with pale skin who walks the streets at night and hunts on unsuspecting young women. Now we are seeing that any person who preys on another or any person who benefits from death, that could be a vampire. And that is starting to enter the conversation again. And I'll use Colin Robinson as the example, as the energy vampire in What We Do in the Shadows. One, he's hilarious and I love him, but two... (laughs) He's just hanging out with these other regular vampires, and he causes a lot more damage. Mm, I don't know. Nador has some. Nandor, Nandor has some some damage control needed. Um, which I just wanted to say, we forgot about the Vampire Diaries. Did you ever watch that? No. Okay, I saw like the at least part of the first season. I don't know when that came out, but I wanted to throw that out there because that was a big that was a big thing too. To my, yeah, it totally was. To my knowledge, Vampire Diaries is also kind of like almost like a Gilmore Girls with vampires. Yeah. Like, yeah. so we're seeing a lot of vampires in like teenage depiction. And again, teenagers are associated in a lot of media with like budding romance, budding sexuality and unlimited potential because teenagers haven't had to deal with the adult world yet. And they're on the brink of discovering who they are going to be. So stories with vampires thrown in around teenagers, like it's kind of the most dramatic you could think of as opposed to telling a story about like a 45 year old man who contemplates the possibility of accepting the loss of his soul for eternal life, which would be also, I would watch that show, but like, that's not as enticing as, you know, Jane, John and Mary Beth are going to school and a vampire student appears and all hell breaks loose. Like it's just a complete Hollywood knows what it's doing. Isn't that Twilight? No, it didn't happen in a high school. It actually did. Happen in high did school. it? Yeah, it did. <laughs> it did actually. It did. What this leaves us with is sitting here in 2023 Kink is becoming more and more mainstream. Vampires could not be more mainstream at this point. And vampires, in many respects, have no longer been seen for a while as monsters, but are actually really seen as people who made a deal to have everything a human could possibly want, usually unlimited access to wealth, unlimited access to power, unlimited access to life, and unlimited access to all things he didn't stick in sex. You know, you can have anything you want as a vampire. And I love seeing, like, the other side of that with vampires who have been alive for centuries getting to the point of, like, this sounded good, but... Yeah. And we really... So, in what we do in the shadows, they're happy where they are. They don't want to change. Like, this is the great life. Like, I fully get why Guillermo in what we do in the shadows wants to be a vampire. And we do get to see in this most recent season... Spoiler alert. I'm just saying we get to see in this most recent season (laughs) Guillermo kind of tangling with what it would really mean if he was a vampire. 
And if that really is something he wants. Like, Guillermo is the most human character on what we do in the shadows because he's literally human. Okay, so that but, wasn't so much a spoiler alert for anybody who got scared. But when we look at Interview with a Vampire, the most recent TV show that came out, it is pure angst and exploration of losing your soul. That is what this show is about. It is literally about a human man, beautiful, uh, filled with potential, filled with hope, losing his family, losing his sense of reality, losing everything because he gave into, into the temptation of, of sexual desire, of love. And he's also queer. And you see a queer man struggling with his queerness in a society in a world where not only is he queer, but he's a person of color surrounded by white dickheads who are racist as fuck. Yeah, this show takes place what year? I don't know, but it's in like, I think it's New Orleans or it's, it's during the yeah, time of like. I'll look it up. We really do get to see the fight for the soul, you know, and the fact that Interview with the Vampire has now been remade again and is again, and in my opinion, doing even an even better job of exploring this piece. And keep in mind, it takes place also in modern times because that's right. He's being interviewed in the modern times about yeah. his time in 20th century New Orleans. Yeah, but we really see a conversation going on in this show about what it means to be queer. How queerness, in a way, alienates us from people who are not and from the prevailing culture. And as a stand-in, what it means to be different and kinky. What it means to want and to lust for things that you're not supposed to have. The devastation of going too far and of actually hurting someone. I mean, this is the emotional side of human life, and it's also the emotional side of BDSM to a degree. This is not revolutionary to say that vampires stand in for kinksters. I think it's just not what most people who analyze vampires piece together. Mostly we look at the sexuality, mostly we look at carnal behavior or taboo behavior, but kink is taboo behavior. Even though, for some of us, for me, this is the search for soul. There's nothing taboo at all here. This is the point. Um, and I think it's a good warning as well. If we don't keep ourselves in check, if we don't constantly grapple with what is ethical, what is right, um, where the lines are, when we walk in the darkness, if we don't keep an eye on where the light is, we could actually hurt ourselves or others. We could fall prey to the, the monster inside of ourselves that goes too far. And it's really important to think about that and to remember that as we play in the shadows. So I just wanted to add a piece here because a lot of this episode is very focused, obviously, on sexuality because we're looking at this comparison to how vampires are represented in the media and how much they have been sexualized. So I just wanted to shout out to those who experience or explore BDSM from a non-sexual place that we are not forgetting about you, we are not ignoring you, and that experience is just as valid. Today's discussion just happens to be heavily influenced by something that is portrayed as heavily sexual. So, Whew. well, this was fun. I uh, I enjoy the vampires in media. I have not seen the Twilights, but uh, we'll fix that. I'm not exactly like ashamed of that fact. Um, oh, you'll but... enjoy it. We'll have a good time. <laughs> The baseball scene is going to make you so happy. Baseball scene? Yeah, I just said the baseball scene. Aren't you excited? Okay. Did they miss the ball, the flyaway ball, because somebody's glittering too loudly or something? Actually, something else disrupts the game, but we'll get there when we get there. 
Um, All right. <laughs> let's also uh, thank our team. Of course, we're talking about Sid, Tussled, and Lena. These <laughs> guys are the best. They've helped us uh, moderate our Discord, build the Discord, build the website, take notes for our team. We love all three of you so much. You're amazing. And, um, whoo, of course, you want to call out our Call Me Kinklings. We're talking about Pudding and... Pudding! And Janae. We love you all. Happy Halloweens. And we'll see you next time here on Curtis for Kinklings. Be well, precious Kinklings. And be safe and get all the candy. <laughs>